Um, so, um, you know, the quarterback, when you're, you're, he's, he's standing there and he gets ready to take the snap and he sees the line judge drop the flag and he knows somebody was offside, so he's got a free play and he just kind of throws it. And it's, it, it's a little bit like that, you know. It's like if this is really bad, then y'all will just walk away saying, he didn't have much time to prepare, you know. <laughs> and uh, if it's good, you'll, you'll say, well, praise the Lord. You know, the word of God is powerful, you know. And, um, and that's true. That's true. It is, it is actually sort of a, a mixed emotion when you, uh, when you preach with, with little to no uh, notice. But um, yeah, I, I was kind of looking through uh, sermons. Obviously, you don't get a, a fresh start from scratch sermon in this uh, context. But it's easier to do this at somebody else's church because you can take the last sermon you preached that's still fresh on your mind and, and go preach it. But when that last sermon and the last number of sermons were last preached here, it's a little harder to do that. So I had to go back a little ways. And, and um, as I was going through, though, something just struck me. And, and I was literally going down the screen looking at sermon titles and texts and, and thinking about something to, uh, that would be appropriate for the morning. And... Um, and my eyes kind of fell on this one, and I was like, you know, it, it's kind of in the vein of what we've been talking about, um, but it's about this idea of being peace bearers, that God has called us to this. God has called us to be peace bearers. What, what is it to be a peace bearer? What is it to be at peace? Because we live in a very anxiety-filled world, both of those who know Christ and those who don't. There's so much anxiety in the world today. And so I want us to kind of talk a little bit about being at peace and what it means to be a bearer of peace. Not a superficial kind of peace that says that everything's perfect, everybody's getting along perfectly, but the kind of peace that J.B. Phillips talks about, here's how he describes it. He says, as we study the New Testament and we study New Testament Christianity, we're aware that there is an inner core of tranquility and stability. It's not mere absence of strife or conflict, but a positive peace, a solid foundation which held fast amid all the turmoil of human experience. I believe that's what James refers to when he talks about the crown of life that comes to those who persevere. It's the kind of peace that the Bible says that we have in Christ. You know, I have to turn to this. It's not our primary text this morning, but I just want to kind of um, set a, a base a little bit from John chapter 16, verse 33 says, these things I've spoken to you. By the way, I'm going to be reading from the New International this morning, just because that's what I originally prepared this in. And so rather than trying to change all of that, I'm going to go stick with that. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. It's that peace that passes understanding. Jesus says, in me you have peace. That's a promise. Believers can be assured of that. That's an assurance that we have that in him we have peace. But just as much a promise is he when, when he says in this world you have trouble. There is trouble in the world. Just as sure as we have peace in him, we have trouble in this world. But there's also a promise that says I have overcome the world. And the ultimate victory of Christ's followers is that peace that we have from Christ and what he's done. So let me set the table. If God has given us the ability to have peace in the world in spite of the world's tribulations 
And if most of the world is caught in the anxiety of these tribulations, then surely we have something wonderful with which we can engage the world that only those who know Christ can really offer. It is unique. It is distinctive. It is something that we can offer to the world that no one else can. Today we're going to look at the opportunity we have to engage and and maybe offer a few tips at the end on some ways to do that. Paul speaks extensively about our engaging in this tumultuous world around us. And one of the places he does that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So turn there, if you will. And uh, we're going to look at verses 14 to 21. This is not intended to be a comprehensive study in any way, shape, or form of this passage. We wouldn't ever have time to do that just in one sermon. Um, But there's a lot I'm not going to address, but I do want to address some key points and some key things along the way in here. Let me read the text to us before we begin. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. And those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father God, as we consider this text this morning, give us the ability not to simply hear it, not to jot down a few notes, store them away, but to allow your Holy Spirit to take your holy word and penetrate our fallen, but for many of us, redeemed and reconciled hearts. Prick us and quicken us with the sense of what you are calling us to, what you are empowering us for, and what you have given to us for the good of the world. And we pray for that in Christ's name, amen. Well, if we're gonna engage the world with the message of peace, we need to ask, first of all, what is the message? What's the message that we're to engage? Um, what are we telling people? We tell them, well, first of all, you too have the opportunity to be dead, just like me. Because we are convinced that one died, verse 14 says, one died for all, therefore all died. All die doesn't mean all physically die. We do ultimately all physically die, but it doesn't mean that all die as Christ died. All die, that we're avoiding in this 
having to die for our own sins. That's what the message is. The message is that Christ died for us and his death appropriates to us for the forgiveness of our sins. <clears throat> One died for all, therefore all died. It shows the sufficiency of Christ's death, sufficiency of that death penalty to pay each of our sins so we don't have to. Sin atoned for as though I had died for it, but atoned for in Christ through his death. The message also tells us, though, that we can be made new. Verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Verse 19, not counting men's sins against them. We engage those whose, whose self and their past is, has brought them to despair. We look at the mess that we're mired in in this world, overwhelmed sometimes with a sense of hopelessness. We get to deliver that message of being made new. That's a very different message from the message of we can fix this. That's the message that so many are trying to preach today. We can fix this. This isn't about fixing anything. This is about becoming new. About something, I had to take my phone in this week. New phone, brand new phone, didn't work. I said, I don't want a fixed brand new phone. They said, we're not going to fix it. We're going to replace the inside. I'm like, so you're not going to fix it. We want to fix things sometimes. People have a problem. We want to fix it. I am a fixer by nature. I want to fix everything that comes along. And you know what? We can't fix the sin problem of the world. But we can bring a message of someone who has, has done something about the sin problem of the world and that we can be made new when we're overwhelmed by that sense of hopelessness. The third thing is that God's the initiator. All this is from God, verse 18 says, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Why? Because of what Christ did. Where have we gotten the idea that the world doesn't want to hear this message? Half people tell me that often, well, the world doesn't want to hear. I think they do. I just think they want to hear it from a sincere messenger. I just think they want to see it from someone where they can both hear it because words are important and also see it in the life that they live. But I don't think the world doesn't want to hear it. Is it no longer from God? Is God no longer in the reconciliation business? Of course he is. That hasn't changed and the world is desperate to hear the message. Well, that's the peace message. What motivates us in this message? Well, mostly Christ's love. That's what's ultimately got, it's ultimately got to stem from an understanding of Christ's love. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us, Paul said. It's driving us. It's compelling us. Guilt and shame is never going to motivate anybody, not beyond just the moment. We see so often, you know, you know I was a youth minister and, and you know, for, for many years and and I know where, you know, Jake and, and uh, come, you know, where he comes from in terms of working with students and where Austin comes from in terms of working with students. And these guys are better than I was because, you know, I had a lot of that sense. And I kind of grew up in an era of ministry where it was very guilt and shame motivated. And it was very built around guilting and shaming and pricking emotions and, and not really communicating the truth of what reconciliation was really all about. You know what? It didn't work. It didn't work. 
but when we are compelled by the love of Christ. People say you can make people, always make a Christian look down just by talking about prayer or witnessing. <laughs> you know, those two things like, yeah, well, you know, I could be better. Now let's talk about the messenger. So if we've got a message, we've got a motivation, what about the messenger? How do we see ourselves or how we see ourselves changes things. Verse 15, it said, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, what reconciliation does is it causes within us a movement toward a cause that's greater than ourselves. When we are reconciled to God, when we understand that message of reconciliation, when we are motivated in that message of reconciliation through a love for Christ, what happens within us is a movement toward a cause that's greater than ourselves. Natural man can be a selfish man, so can the redeemed man. But the natural man only knows what he can accomplish by himself for himself. Often believers live that way, though we know better. Even reconciled man can tend that way apart from if we're not appropriating the ability that God has given us not to do that. It just doesn't fit the reconciled person to live for himself. A lot of times we try to and it really robs us of peace because we can never get for ourselves what we most earnestly desire what we most deeply long for. We can never do that for ourselves. We can never accomplish that in a search or a seeking of, of doing for ourselves. And it leaves us anxious. And it leaves us worried and wondering about everything around us because we do have a higher cause than ourselves. That's true both inside and outside the church where we're operating here, whether we're operating out in the world's where we live every, every single day. Sometimes it's easy to live kind of as a Christian connoisseur, you know, where I kind of like what I like. I like things the way that I like things. And that's easy to do in the church, outside the church. And nobody really articulates that. Nobody actually says, well, I want things the way I want it. You know, we're, we're more savvy than that. You know, we're, we're a little bit smoother. We wouldn't just say those words. But sometimes in the way that we live and the way that we express things and the way that we participate or don't participate, the choices that we make, the decisions we make along the way sort of speak to whether I'm willing to accept something a little different from where I'm coming from. Because we can allow things to change us pretty quickly. And the reality of our heart starts to kind of show through then, both in the community and in the church. And it can interfere with our ability to really be bearers of peace. So not only how we see ourselves changes, but second, how we see people changes as well. Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Paul expresses here that a sincere understanding, what a sincere understanding of Christ's death has done for him that how he sees people has changed. How he sees people is different than it was before. It's no longer about the surface thing. It's no longer gonna be about socioeconomic issues or race or political or geography or position or power. As bearers of the message of Christ, Paul renounces those worldly criteria, that worldly criteria for what matters, that worldly criteria for how we see people. Now he says, it's about their soul. 
It's about their heart. Now it's about their standing before God that they are not this, that, this, that, or the other, but they are reconciled or they are not reconciled. They are lost or they are found. They are born again or they are dead in their sin. He said, that's what it becomes about. That's what it becomes. That's what our, our concern for the state of people becomes about. He says, that's, he said, even Jesus, he used to judge in an inappropriate way. The bearer of peace is truly not a respecter of person. Thirdly, our vocation changes. So how we see others changes, how we see ourselves changes, and our vocation changes. Verse 20 says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We get a new job. We get to be an ambassador. We get to live to represent someone. Let's think about ambassadors for a minute. What do we know about them? Well, we know they're given the message they are to deliver. They do not speak on their own behalf. They don't speak just what they think. Verse 19 says, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Ambassadors don't shoot from the hip. Ambassadors aren't the final authority of the message they deliver. It is a message entrusted to them from a higher authority. And our message is not the message that we want. Let me be honest and say some things I believe I don't particularly like. There are things in my belief system that I just don't like, but they're truth and they're from the Lord. And it's me that has to do the changing in that. Not the message, not to change the message to fit how I feel, but to allow God to do the changes in me and trust God to do the changes in others that needs to happen so that he is reconciling them to himself. So we become ambassadors. So an ambassador is, is first of all, given the message. Second, they, they, ambassadors are not homebodies. The older I get, the more of a homebody I think I become. The older I get, the less I like to go places. I don't know what it is about it. I'd just as soon be at home, sitting there with my dog or whatever. You know, I'd just as soon be there, you know, as anywhere in this world. And, and that's the truth. You know, I hear about going on trips to different places. It, it just doesn't appeal to me that much anymore. But as an ambassador, we're not homebodies. And ambassadors go. They cross borders. They get outside their comfort zones. They go often to hard places, to difficult places. Their job is to engage those outside of their own circles. You know, the church in America today, and speaking pretty broadly about the church, we have a lot of spiritual homebodies. And it's easy to be a spiritual homebody. It's easy to be more comfortable at home and to be satisfied just being at home to be satisfied being within the circles where I'm comfortable, in the realm of people and, and things that I'm comfortable with. I have nothing against Christian things. I have nothing against you know, Christian social organizations and groups that are Christian-based. I have nothing against Christian schools or Christian sports leagues or any of these things. It's, it's not about that. But if we are leaving the world without an ambassador, if we have left the opportunity to be ambassadors because we will not live within someone else's borders in any way, shape, or form, then we have surrendered 
that high calling of being ambassadors for Christ. Because we can't be an ambassador sitting home. We can't be an ambassador just sitting in, in, in our easy chair, scratching the dog, drinking our coffee, and not going anywhere beyond that. And there's no one to bear the message of peace, of reconciliation to them. There's no ambassador. I said this wasn't intended to be exhaustive in any way, shape, or form. We're as messengers. We're given his message. We're given his motivation. But if we're going to take it seriously, let me just give you a few applications. If you desire to be an ambassador... And if you would say, you know, this whole series that Jim's talking about, just kind of in, in along that same vein of, of being a disciple maker, of reaching out, of, of reaching around the world around us, just some simple applications, things to think about very quickly in terms of being an ambassador. Number one, embrace the call to be a bearer of peace. You say, that sounds simple, that sounds obvious, but it's a choice we have to make because we can just go along through life and never make that choice very easily. We can attend things. We can go to things. You can be at church every Sunday. You can go to your Sunday school class. You can show up on Wednesday night. We can do all of those things and never really be an ambassador of peace beyond our border. So it is a conscious decision we have to make that I am going to be in a bearer of peace. Secondly, making a commitment to peace-bearing relationships. What that means is I can't just hang out inside my comfort zone. I can't just hang out with my fellow peace-bearers. We can't just have ambassador conventions all the time where just all the ambassadors get together and talk about how awesome it is to be an ambassador. Us ambassadors have to get going. We've got to get out and go. And we have to build relationships in order to do that. Relationships with those who need it and don't already have it. Thirdly, we need to take intentional steps. We have to be honest with ourselves and ask questions like, you know, how, how, who am I developing relationships with? Where do I invest my discretionary time? What do I spend it on? Fourthly, we've got to work on being sincere and vulnerable. A good ambassador of peace is, is not afraid to expose his vulnerabilities. He's not afraid to be honest. He, he doesn't have to put forth the Christian's have-it-all-together face. But let me say this too. He also doesn't have to put together, I'm no better off than you face, which I, I'm afraid I'm seeing Christians way too likely to do in some ways in an effort to relate, in an effort to connect, in an effort to, to get on someone else's level we almost send a message sometimes that says, I'm no better off than you. I'm a sinner just like someone else. I'm no more righteous in myself than someone else, but I'm better off because I've been reconciled and because I've been given the peace that passes understanding through the appropriated blood of Jesus Christ. That makes me better off. Not of my own doing, not of my own work, not of my own goodness, but because of the redemptive work of God. Fifthly, we develop sensitivity. Sensitivity in conversation, speech that is seasoned with salt. The goal is not to win arguments, folks. The goal is to set, see the lost set free, 
not to see them tied in knots by our clever arguments. I loved Gail talking about, talking to this lady. It wasn't, you know, spouting statistics and all this stuff to her. It was just communicating to her the love of Christ, communicating to her that there was a, a different way, that there was another alternative and something that could, could be done other than to abort her child. The goal is reconciliation, not driving further separation. It's to tear down walls, not reinforce strongholds. Sixthly, we gotta be ready to sacrifice. As an ambassador, we may have to make great sacrifices. Those who need to have it their way, don't make great ambassadors. They'll make great ambassadors for peace, for sure. Good ambassadoring, I don't think that's really a word, but it is now. Good ambassadoring is sacrificial. It involves giving up conveniences. It involves giving up our preferences sometimes. It involves sacrifice. Seventhly, lastly, good ambassadoring is embracing interdependence. Because none of us can do it by ourselves. None of us can do it on our own. Interdependence recognizes the differences, but realize that each one of us offers something that the other needs, resulting in, in this equality in our relationships, but a healthier approach to the world around us. There's things that I can help you do in reaching your friends for Christ. And there's things that you can help me do in reaching my friends for Christ. You bring things to the, to the table that I can't bring. I'll bring some things to the table that you can't bring. And what we have to do is we have to be willing to get engaged with each other in this ambassadoring mission that we're called to. One, one uh, whole teaching on this is a thing called body evangelism, but that's a, another sermon for another day. But none of us have got this down. None of us do this perfectly. We are all in process. Kathleen Kaiser, you know what? She's in process. She'll come tell us about that process. Kathleen, come on. Well, a couple of years ago, I got into a routine of going to the same gas station every week. And while I was pumping, I'd run inside and get a Diet Coke. And the same woman was always working at the register. And she was lovely. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be coming in here every week, I should get to know her and introduce myself and just start some conversations. And so I found out her name is Winnie and she's from Ethiopia. And we just began just a real friendly light a conversation relationship over the next several weeks. And I asked her one day what she was doing for Christmas. And she said she was working. So my family and I decided we would go on Christmas and see Winnie and try to just make a special morning of it for her. And so we took her a present and we sang her a carol and just made a, a happy morning of it with Winnie. And when I introduced her to my family, she immediately recognized my husband. And I was shocked that she would know David. And it turned out that she had been a waitress at a restaurant where my husband had a weekly lunch bunch with some friends at the same time, same place, same table. And Winnie was her wait, his waitress. And I thought, wow, you know, God is really pursuing Winnie. This is not an accident that he would have this Ethiopian woman 
come across his path, and then now come across my path in Germantown at our gas station. So I felt like the Lord was really prompting me to be more intentional in my relationship with her. So I would cut out a little more time during the weeks and just go by and see her, whether or not I needed gas. And despite the fact that we were in a gas station, we actually had really meaningful conversations together. And the Lord just gave me opportunities to bring him into the conversations and gave me opportunities to point her to Christ. And I had some chances to pray with her in the gas station, things that were going on in her life. And so she ended up moving back, not moving, but she took a trip back home to Ethiopia and she was gone for about three months. And so I didn't see her for a while, but when she came back and we reunited, I felt like the Lord was saying, you know, the, what, what you've accomplished in your relationship at the gas station has kind of peaked. And I felt like he wanted me to take that relationship further and start spending some time with her outside of work. And really, I felt the Lord's prompting that I needed to go through the gospel with her, which I had not done yet, and make the gospel really clear so she knew how to follow Christ. And so I wasn't really sure what that would look like, spending time with her outside of work or where I would do that. And it was around that time that First Event was promoting their international brunch. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. I will invite Winnie to the international brunch. And that way I can spend time with her outside of work. And I can share the gospel clearly with her and get her to church. It was the perfect plan. And I knew that the Lord was prompting that. And a couple of weeks went by, and I don't know why, but I just dragged my feet in making those plans with her. And I didn't obey quickly when the Lord gave me that idea. And unexpectedly, she got a new job. And she immediately started working for her new job and quit the gas station. And I lost contact with her. We didn't have each other's contact. And I really missed uh, a sweet opportunity to expand that relationship. And, you know, I've had a lot of regret that I didn't obey quickly when God prompted me to. But I know the Lord's sovereign. I know he has his hand on her life and that he can bring other people to her and bring her to Christ. But it was really a, a reminder to me that we need to quickly respond when the Lord gives us those opportunities and not drag our feet because we don't know how much time we have or that we'll have more chances. So. Thank you, Kathleen. <clears throat> you know, in all this, all I really want to say is this. In one way or another, Kathleen at a gas station, wherever you are, wherever I am, whether we take the mantle and live it out, the reality is that in Christ, we are his ambassadors. That's not a maybe, that, that's an is. We will, we will do a good job of it some days. We will not do such a good job of it some days. We will follow through some days, some days we will not. We will take great strides and then just, you know, the same Peter that attacked the guy with a sword 
uh, when he said, you know, I'll die for you, he wasn't lying. He thought he was going to die when he went after the servant with the sword. Next thing we see, he's denying Christ. Isn't that a picture of us? Isn't that a picture of what it starts looking like? I mean, one day, man, we are zealous and bold, and the next day we're cowering in a corner and, and, and not wanting to say what we need to say. We're in progress. But he's called us to be his ambassadors. And he's called us, I mean, just in this room, if just to the people in our world, if we would, would stop worrying about things that we have no ability to touch or impact and just focus at least some of that time on the people right around us that we can impact, that we can make a difference in their life, a true, genuine difference in their life, that we can communicate a message to them, a message of God's grace, a message of God's love, and then spend time with them living the gospel, speaking the gospel, helping them to grow in an understanding of the gospel and then Lord willing of their faith going forward. All that we talk about Memphis, Shelby County, all that we talk about around us, I think it would change. I think it would be different because there's enough firepower, gospel firepower just in this room to make a tremendous difference on this city. Now multiply that by the believers that we know across this city, those who have been impacted, those who have been taught, those who have been discipled to be ambassadors for Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that you have given us and trusted to us a ministry of reconciliation. And by extension, in, in Paul saying that that ministry, that message has been given to him. It's given to us as well. And Father, I pray that you would help us to, not out of a motivation of guilt, not out of a motivation of um, a shame that we're not doing what we should do, but out of a motivation of the love that you have for us and a motivation of loving you that we would become fervent ambassadors, bearers of the message of peace, communicators in word and deed, the truths of the gospel, and that that would be what we're about apart from all the other things that are so loud in our life, that those things would become dominant in our thoughts, in our actions, in our priorities. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.